as it turns out, this is one of those episodes that I simply could not have made, but for the influence of my goddaughter, who talks to me a lot about, you know, matters philosophical and social and political and all sorts of things. And, you know, look, a lot of, because my goddaughter and I talk a lot, I, um, a lot of my podcasts and episodes are influenced by ideas that she throws my way. Um, but usually I bring a lot to those episodes as well. Yeah, and in fact, I'd say they're 80% me, 20% her. But uh, this episode um, touches on subject matter that is really foreign to me and um, which I've never really put any thought into it or much thought into at all. Uh, and um, so um, I would call this one 80% her, 20% me. You know, I've just added a little layer on top and the layer I add on top of things is just the way I say things more than anything. Um, yeah, it really doesn't matter to me what I say, talk about. Really, I can talk about anything, and it's not. It doesn't matter. You know how I said it on another occasion um, that I like to talk about obvious things, you know, um, uh, rather than clever things. Yeah, you know? because with me, it's not about what I'm talking about. It's more how I'm talking about it, and you know, the, my um, my what grammar and attitude and all that sort of thing and tone of voice and all that sort of thing um and and uh, by the way that's true of rap too you know 90% of rap is not about what they're saying if you just read the lyrics out loud with no rhythm um most of it you know to my ears is atrocious you know but as soon as you put some rhythm to it and give it some attitude and all that sort of thing suddenly it starts to pop it's interesting. Rock and roll is the same. Uh, if you just read some lyrics from rock and roll, um, it, ridiculous, ridiculous, you know. Um, yeah, but once once you heard hear it being sung with its attitude and all that sort of stuff, um, suddenly it makes sense. You know, rap. Yeah, you know, uh, if you pull apart the lyrics of some rap, I've, I've heard some rap from you know a person called Naz. I don't really, I really don't know much rap, you know, but I've um. Yeah, there's this rapper called Naz, which is pretty much the only one I really know these days. Um, and um, I've read some of his lyrics absolutely without caring or listening to the way it's sung or anything like that, or where he's coming from philosophically or anything like that, but just reading the lyrics straight and bland. And, you know, some of the things he says is just, you know, he speaks a lot about history and the history of, you know, African people, you know. And some of what he says is just plain ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, you know. But then, when people, but it's not what it's not whether it's not what he's talking about, you know. Um, yeah, like he he has this Pan Africa idea where Egypt, ancient ancient Egypt, and the rest of Africa are one and the same thing, you know, which is just just plain nuts, you know plain nuts, you know, that, you know, Egypt's glories belong to all of Africa's glories, you know, um, uh, you know, like if you're from Nigeria, for example, Egypt's glories belong to you, you know, and Nigeria's glories belong to Egypt, you know, whereas, you know, I associate Egypt much more closely with somewhere like Greece, um, or even Ethiopia, you know, like, believe it or not, um, and even, you know, other places like, um, uh, you know, the, the, that's where the interplay was. The Mediterranean world was the, the world then, you know, which is everything from Ethiopia and Egypt up to Greece and Rome and all that sort of thing, you know. Um, and most of those 
places didn't even know most of the Af- rest of Africa even existed, you know. So when I read Nas lyrics, and um, he says, we need to get back to when we were pharaohs, you know, and I kind of suspect that he comes from West Africa or something like that, and I sort of think, what are you... That's nuts, you know. But then, when I listen to him in context, um, it starts to make more sense because he's trying to uh, restore dignity uh, to... Um, to um, African Americans who have a, a, a history of slavery, and it starts to make sense for reasons I will get into soon in this episode. In this episode, it does make sense, believe it or not. As, as stupid as it sounds, it makes sense, and it, even, and it makes sense to me. But I had to step outside my context to make it make sense. I had to actually really work hard to force myself for a start to engage with rap, something I really don't like doing. And it's not something I'm going to do in the future either, but I did it for my goddaughter. And as a result of that, I was able to make this episode, um, which I kind of like, you know. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not, but I like it, you know. And let's get into it. Again, as soon as I press, uh, find the button and press it. I was just having a little think, and if I was to summarise what this episode is about, uh, and this episode, by the way, is about, as it turns out, and you'll find this out, about rap, um, a gangster attitude, you know, I'll define these terms later, you know, what a gangster is, there's more than one kind of gangster in the world, Um, it's even what I call an establishment gangster, (laughs) like Biggles. But I'll, 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 ex- I'll explain all that later, you know. Um, if I was to sort of encapsulate what this episode is all about, it would be that um, a gangster attitude, forget what I mean by that for the moment, you know, just make your own definition. A gangster attitude can be a very healing thing for some, but a very vexing thing for others. The obvious example being if you've got a subculture within a dominant culture, an establishment culture, if you want, um, you know, and I'm part of, I'm establishment, you know, I'm lucky enough and privileged enough to be part of an establishment culture that's the dominant culture in my land. Um, if, you're, if you're a member of an establishment elite, um, then gangsters in your midst, no matter what their code of honour, is a vexation to your code of honour. Gangsters in your midst, with their own set of codes of behaviour and laws even, you know, sort of laws, you know, are a vexation to you and your laws and your ideas for the way you want the world to be, you know, for you, I suppose, and your people, okay? So, gangsters can be a vexation to your spirit. But they can be a very healing thing for the spirit of the gangsters themselves. Um, And their code of behaviour and all that sort of thing, you know, their codes of behaviour work for them and um, they can restore dignity to those people and all those sorts of things, right? So I would um, encourage all people in an establishment. Now, I will get another day, I will get to this idea of people in an establishment um, stepping inside the shoes of people in um, a minority group. 
um, and, you know, really empathising. Um, uh, but I don't think that really ever goes much further than compassion. You know, I think... Um, and caring, you know. I don't think we are actually able to become members of a minority. When we're in an establishment group, I think it's really hard to honestly identify with a subculture, you know, because... Um, I could explain that. And if, if the roles were reversed, and I discuss this later, if the roles were reversed, the subculture, if the subculture became the dominant culture and the dominant culture became the subculture, then uh, the dominant culture, who has seen all its rule codes of behaviour and you know, rules of what it thinks and laws of what it thinks is right... You know, suddenly the dominant culture has become the subculture and they've become the dominant culture and they would struggle to empathise with, you know, with the subculture, the new subculture, you know, which used to be the oppressors but now is the underdog. You know, the old thing of, you know, the slave masters becoming the slaves, you know. Um, you know, I could pretend to be compassionate and all that sort of stuff. Um, I could pretend to empathise and really feel the way uh, non-privileged people are f- feeling in a in a, a subculture of my own culture um, but gee it's hard to be to not be hypocritical in such a situation in s- some senses you're stuck with your privilege um, and I know there are steps you can take to jump outside your privilege and all that sort of stuff and good people try and do that but I'm just this episode is pretty much just going to confine itself to almost an anthropological look at this and not get into morals and you know you know jump on to the um the modern you know we all love each other and we all understand each other i don't think we do um i think some people manage to get halfway there but gee it's hard gee it's hard and most of them are hypocrites some of them aren't some of them genuinely get there but what I'm talking about is by a subculture is an oppressed group. And you know what? It doesn't have to be about race. It can be oppressed in any way, shape or form, you know. And taking rap as an example, you know, because I talked about gangsters. Um, and rap, I think, is the language of gangsters, let's say. You know, um, the rap is the language of an oppressed group um, trying to find dignity in a world that is a coded to advantage a privileged group you know a majority now that can happen even within a family or within a you know a community and all that sort of stuff you can be oppressed for all sorts of reasons you know you can be oppressed for having red hair you know you can be oppressed for all sorts of reasons you can be oppressed because you're the wrong type of person you know or you're gay or whatever you know there's a lot of ways in all those sorts of people can identify with rap music because it crosses over you know but that's you know if I was to try and encapsulate what this is about this episode it's about that that rap for example and gangster attitude you know which go together i think um can be a very healing force for some if you're a member of a subculture that wants to become a culture not a subculture and it can be a vexation to people who are part of the culture and don't want to become part of the subculture you know because there's a what um i think it was um plato would say you know man is divided against itself sort of thing you know what i mean um okay so it's that um so and in that sense as a member of um the establishment as i am you know i can pretend i'm not um but i am uh, i am privileged i just am you know um i haven't been oppressed in any way shape or form since i've been born it's unbelievable i mean you know i'm very lucky um, um, but as a member of that elite, you know, 
It ends up me talking about music, you know, because we were talking about rap, my goddaughter and I. I don't know if I mentioned her just now, but I'm mentioning her now. Um, We were talking about music and why some people like rap and some people don't, you know. Um, And I say, I don't, you know. And I say, I think, you know, because I'm already comfortable and I don't want to be vexed. Um, Because rock and pop speaks to me. Um, Because it's, uh, you know, that's the music of a culture that's sitting pretty on top and now just wants to have fun singing you know video killed the radio star or something you know um whereas um i have an opposite number a friend of my uh, who i'll use as an example in this episode who um is part of a subculture really and you know minority group and he likes rap and he uh believe for him uh pop music and rock music for example is missing something that rap's got well that's no surprise it's missing that intensity of a subculture trying to assert its dignity you know um but for me pop and rock and all that sort of thing and my entire attitude is um is asserting a different type of dignity and code of honor and rules and all that sort of stuff that that applies to me okay so all right um something like that okay uh we, we will go over this and over this, you know. Like It's a nice chat. I like this chat. Um, it's interesting, you know, uh, for me. It doesn't have to be interesting for you. Um, I'm not trying to push any of this onto you. Um, I'm um, speaking for myself here. Um, and, yeah, if you, if you want to get in touch with me with your feedback, don't. <laughs> you can't. You don't even know who I am. I use false names. And there is no way in these podcasts that I make of even commenting. This is not social media. This is me emptying my head. This episode coming up is pretty much an addendum to the previous episode i had them joined together but um i've pulled this one off as an episode on its own so let's have it yeah that's the way i'd say it um it's about rap by the way and all that sort of thing so um if i was a rapper i would say yo listen up you know listen you know, but for me, and I'll explain why these different tones of voice ha- voices happen. For me, I'd say, hey, I'm going to empty my head and tell you what I think. Listen if you want, and don't if you don't want. You know, uh, there's a different approach, uh, and and I think I think the following might draw out what that dif- where that difference in approach comes from. Why do I, for example, do a podcast in which I'm not even looking for an audience and I'm not really trying to force anything into your head and I'm really not trying to uh, convince you of anything. You know, I'm just saying, here's what I think. And, you, you know, why am I so relaxed? You know, and I, I think I come up with a reason for that and it's around the idea of priv- privilege, you know. I'm in a privileged position in society and I can relax. You know, and say, hey, I'm going to tell you how, what I think, but I, you know, I'm so relaxed enjoying the sunshine here in Essendon that you know, you can take it or leave it. I don't care. You know, and um, yeah, and that's me saying, hey, I've got something I'm about to say. Listen to it if you if you feel like it, and don't if you don't. And I really don't care. And definitely, I don't even want to know if you did hear it. You know, because I always say that. 
hey, you know, um, I'll, I'm going to say something, but I don't, really, I don't really need any feedback and I don't need you to believe it. Um, I'm just saying what I think and you think whatever you like, you know. Whereas uh, my goddaughter, for example, sent me a clip recently where someone was saying, you know, um, a clip that was trying to be inspirational. It was inspirational, you know, and it was saying, and it was in an African-American sort of format, and it was saying, hey, you know, and it was trying to tell someone, you know, if, if you've got someone who loves you, don't let that person go, you know. But... Um, and whereas I would say, hey, if you're going to let someone who loves you go, you're an idiot. But you're cool. You know, that's me. Um, whereas this person was saying, hey, have you got someone who's loyal to you? You do not let that girl go. You do not let her go. You know, you hold on to that girl and, you know, this is rare, right? And, and all this sort of stuff. And he was a very punchy, you know, very punchy. And in the actual tone of the voice, it was rap. It was wrapped the way he was speaking because it was all syncopated the way he was speaking, the opposite of the way I speak, you know. And you're saying, you know, you hold on to that girl. You, you, I, you listen up. You will not let that girl go, you know. Boom, 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 boom. You know, like that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and he's, he's basically ordering you to stay with that girl. You know, that's the way it came across. That was inspirational, no doubt. However, the person who was speaking it was not giving the listener any opportunity to do anything other than he was telling them to do. He was ordering them what to do, you know. Now, it, it turned out to be inspirational, you know. Um, you know. Personally, I think it would have had the effect of pushing some women back with men um, who they should be with, you know, and, and some women who would listen to that clip probably have gone back to a man that they shouldn't be with, you know, and they've missed out on a great life with someone they should be with because this guy was so charismatic and so evangelical and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, but, look, I draw out in the following episode stuff like this, and especially uh, I draw out why uh, I have a certain way of speaking and, you know, why I like certain kinds of music, you know, pop and rock and all that sort of stuff. And, where, and my goddaughter has a friend who likes rap, you know. And the following, I think, draws out possible reasons for that. You know, why has... Um, why has uh, my goddaughter's friend come to love rap? You know, we're, we're both humans, you know. Ostensibly, there should be, you know, it's only our conditioning probably, you know, our social situations that can make us go one way or the other. Why does he like rap and I don't? And why do I put, like pop and rock and he doesn't, you know? And the following six to draw that out as to why that is, you know. Okay. This is a stream of consciousness episode, so um, as I speak, I'll just mention that I do happen to listen to pretty much only Paul McCartney at the moment, and post-Beatles Paul McCartney, and post-Beatles Paul McCartney is vacuous in terms of uh, what the music means. It's close to absolute music, you know, Google what that means. it's so meaningless. Uh, the only thing that was making Paul half meaningful whilst he was with the Beatles was the influence of John Lennon, I think, you know, and George. And even Ringo, who's a really nice guy. Um, but Paul, uh, look, to understand Paul, um, 
you you'd almost need to listen in my opinion need to listen to John Lennon's song how do you sleep you know because his music means it's got no message for the world as far as i can tell and um paul is in the is the he's the ultimate me in a sense he's super privileged um look he had a rough he actually had a rough trot um as a look not quite as rough as you think you know he didn't grow up in riches um but he was comfortable enough um but you know he was part of the dominant culture and you know british pride coming out of world war 2 and all that sort of stuff and he was able to identify with british pride um and there's nothing bigger than british you know there's nothing more prideful you know oh look they've earned it in a way the british the english um they did get to the top of the heap and paul mccartney was a member of that set so yes he is an establishment person but i listen to paul mccartney nearly always and the reason for that is i mostly listen to music whilst i'm while i'm coding you know i do software um that's irrelevant this this podcast is not about me but the point is i can concentrate when i've got paul playing in my ears because he's not distracting me you know i'm so used to all his songs i've been living listening to them you know pretty much all my life um that they they might as well be instrumentals and that's perfect for me you know um whereas you know and and that's the ultimate sort of pop music for me uh and he's a genius musically you know what i would call musically you know whereas someone like naz um who is a rapper who i'm going to talk about he has heaps of meaning in his songs they're just you know they're chock full of meaning but they are vexations to my spirit and i couldn't code to them they would annoy me too much you know and yet that is healing music that is deeply spiritual and deeply meaningful for other people you know who are not my type of person now paul speaks to me right because you know i'm on top of my cultural heap i just am you know and I'm, I'm not bragging about it i didn't even earn it it's privilege okay i just um you, you know just luckily got there or something you know it's what you're born into and um and i um so paul works for me when i'm not trying to be empathetic you know um look the fact that i'm even making this episode is a form of um walking in another person's shoes because at least i'm comprehending as much as i can um yeah that's probably better than not even thinking about these things so i'm a good person to that extent but i'm nowhere near a good person all over because i i don't do a thing for the world in terms of um getting subcultures up so that we are all one happy family as a as a, a world you know population you know and i you know there'll always be cultures and subcultures dominant classes and subdominant classes you know um sub subclasses you know that's human nature no matter what political system you create or social system um dominant parties rise to the top and enslave parties underneath them and it's got nothing to do with race culture color or creed or anything like that it just happens you know and you just need a you need correctives in society occasionally and you sometimes they come in the form of wars sometimes they come in the form of revolutions and sometimes they come in the form of activists you know and even conservatives sometimes push things in the right direction you know um there's no there's no one 
magic formula. That's why it's it's um, a never-ending quest to try and make the world a better place. It's not easy. But the point of this episode is that I happen to listen to Paul McCartney and like it, whereas I bet uh, my goddaughter's got a friend who likes Naz, for example, and I'm sure a lot of other rap too. I like a lot of other pop as well besides Paul McCartney. Um, but I happen to almost always listen to Paul McCartney. Now, Naz is a vexation to my spirit, um, and uh, because he is defying my uh, my uh, life situation, you know, um, and he wants to dis- he wants to disrupt all that is important to me. In you know, his music, is all about disrupting what's uh, what my um, social construct is. You know, my values and my. Uh, code of behaviour and honour and virtue and everything that's good for me per se, you know, not being moral here, just sort of almost being anthropological about it as I say sometimes um, you know, he's, he wants to disrupt that and good on him, you know, if I was him I would too but it's naturally a vexation to my spirit, especially when I'm just trying to concentrate on my coding you know, when I'm writing software okay, um, yeah, whereas um, a pop you know, someone like Paul McCartney surely would be a vexation to his spirit. You know, my goddaughter's friend. It would have to be. It, it used to annoy John Lennon so much. John Lennon couldn't stand what Paul McCartney was thinking about. It used to vex Paul, John Lennon endlessly because John Lennon was an activist. You know, I'm not an activist, you know. Uh, so I'm different than John Lennon. Um, I'm just looking for music that's going to um, sit there in the background and amaze me, you know, because um, even John Lennon, I think, was amazed by Paul's musical genius. But John Lennon was more a natural rapper, you know, um, in, in, in his attitude. You know, he's an activist and all that sort of thing. You know, listen to anything by John Lennon and you'll see what I mean. Um, they can pick a song from the... There are musicologists who can pick a song from the Beatles and just by looking at the structure of the music, work out whether it was John Lennon or Paul McCartney, even if they don't know. That is how different musical structure can be. And they get it right. They know how to get it right every time. Uh, you can analyse, you can just read it on the paper, the musical score, and you can tell which one's Paul and which one's John. Paul is the musical genius and John has the message. Yeah, his music speaks to a message. That it's trying to communicate something to his fellow humans. Whereas Paul pretty much does more what you would call Mozart style, absolute genius, absolute music, you know. Um, yeah. But anyway, why do I listen to Paul and why does my godfather's <laughs> my godfather's I've got a godfather, he likes rock and roll as well. Um, my goddaughter's friend like, for example, Naz. And that's what this episode's all about. Continuing on. As I mention him, uh, I shouldn't neglect to mention that as much as he's probably my favourite musician, uh, he's very much the sort of person that I don't want to be like, even to the point of me being determined to be sort of horrible out loud because he's so saintly. 
out loud. You know, um, he makes me want to run a mile from any suggestion that I might be a hypocrite. You know, I've got all sorts of faults. You know, if, um, if, um, if I was in the moment, you know, yeah, if I was a rapper, I wouldn't like me at all. That's what I'm getting at. But Paul McCartney, um, he uh, is a saint. You know, he's kind of, you know how I said I'm establishment, which I am. You know, liberal establishment, that's what I am. Freedom, we're into freedom. You know, we're into freedom, especially for ourselves. And we want other people to be free too, but not at any cost to ourselves. We liberal establishment types. I'm a liberal establishment types uh, type. Um, you know, I'm fairly conservative, a conservative liberal. Um, because I, I like my society. I, I do think it, you know, Western society, the way I like it. And I do think that it is, there, there's no perfect system, you know. Um, and it does leave a lot of people behind. But then, you know, if we switch to another system, it would leave a, a, another whole set of people behind. Look, we're trying to change to another system now. But the, ver- the system that Paul McCartney... Uh, you know the way he likes to be a saint. You know, it reminds me of the way that you know other people like Meryl Streep. You know, um, who dances in one of his videos uh, makes me want to vomit. You know, Paul's called in Meryl. You know, and they're so oh, they're so rich, but they're, they're so smug, and you know they're so they've got so many causes um, that they're the champions for. You know, Paul McCartney. Um, yeah, look, he did a song called Blackbird, you know, which is about the African-American experience. Now, he did that one in his 20s, so absolutely I forgive anyone for anything they say in their 20s, except for what I said in my 20s, which was absolutely naive, <laughs> atrocious. You know, I was a train wreck, philosophically, as a, as, as a 20-something-year-old, but, you know, so is Paul in a way. Um, but Paul... Uh, um, yeah, um, can't stand him. <laughs> Love his music though; um, it's perfect for me. Uh, all right, just thought I'd make mention of that to a certain extent, you know. Um, but look, I'll move on. Uh, as soon as I find the button, I will. Here it is. I'm back, and last time I was uh, speaking into this episode, which is about five seconds ago for you, uh, I think I was talking about how I had gained some appreciation for rap, and even gangsters, um, depending on my definition of gangsters, a definition that has been given to me by my goddaughter, you know, because she is, she, um, uh, my goddaughter uh, enlightens me. When it comes to, well, all things African-American. She's very keyed into African-American culture. Sorry, it's very windy here. I'll be one second. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and, you know, I hear things, you know, and I, and look, American, African-American culture I try and resist. African-American culture I try and resist. You know, it's not inspiring to me. Uh, I, well, I force it to be not inspiring to me because I, I'm overloaded with American culture quite naturally uh, without actually going looking for it. So I try not to look for it. But it comes to me and it has come to me from my goddaughter quite a lot lately. 
you know, because, you know, 98% of all the stuff she gets into is African-American, you know, well, 95%, you know, okay, you know, in terms of, you know, every um, snippet she sends me, every meme, every inspirational thing, you know, it's all African-American, right, sorry, I'll, I'll try and get out of the wind, I'll just give one second, um, okay, and every song, you know, which is pretty much rap songs, um, you know, all African-American. But I've gained some appreciation for it. And I've had to force myself because ordinarily I would ignore it. Um, all that stuff. Rap, ignore it. You know, it wouldn't even be relevant to me. I, I wouldn't be anti-rap and I wouldn't be pro-rap. I'd be ignoring it, you know, in ordinary circumstances if it didn't come to me. And it has come to me. And it tends to come to me because you just hear it around. Um, and... Uh, and um, and also, yeah, as I say, my goddaughter has brought it into a lot sharper focus for me. And I have come to appreciate it. Okay, and in the end, it seems to be something like this, rap. Um, it seems to be um, gangster attitude. Now, uh, my uh, my sort of instinctive idea of a gangster is mafia okay um they live by a code of honor gangsters mafia gangsters they live by a code of honor yeah and they have virtue in their own way and that reminds me you know i see that as the descendant of ancient rome the um mafia code of honor you know the families and all that sort of thing because ancient roma was a gangster state um but we don't call ancient rome against uh, the ancient Romans, the ancient Roman elites, you know, the very few families who ran Rome, according to a, an amazing code of honour, but it was, uh, you know, what we would call an atrocious code of honour, horrible, uh, you know, it was basically run on slavery, all the things that we know and love. Okay, but, you know, imagine a gang right now of a few families, a mafia gang in Italy, taking over Italy and essentially taking over the world, um, and becoming the establishment. You know, a, they start off as a gang of families and they become the establishment. You know, so they start off as gangsters, let's say, with a gangster code of honour and all that sort of thing. And, um, and everybody else serves them. And the only rule of law is the rule of law that is their code of honour, which is um, noble for them, you know. Um, and imagine that gang of families taking over the whole world which is what ancient Rome did. Now, it's almost like it's a gangster state, isn't it? But we stop calling it gangster state. We don't, we don't, uh, gangster is uh, a term that we reserve, because, you, you know, if you're going to speak English, use the meaning of the English word. The ancient Romans weren't gangsters once they took over. They were the institution, you know, they were the establishment. So your gangster code of um, ethics and all that sort of stuff, and morality and virtue and all that sort of code of honour and looking after each other and being brave in looking after each other. You know, all things that the ancient Roman um, uh, defender of ancient Rome, the Republic, that is, uh, Cicero used to talk about, you know, so beautifully, you know, his books are famous because he defended his gang, you know, but his gang wasn't a gang anymore. His gang had taken over the world and we don't call it a gang anymore. Uh, so ancient Rome is not called, uh, the ancient Roman elite 
the the ruling families are not called gangsters. You know, it's a language thing. They are called the establishment because they're on top of the heap. Um, but then, um, underneath, and then um, you get um, um, what's his name? Um, you know, the slave. Oh, I've forgotten. What is it? What's his name? Um, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. You know, the slave that got a gang together to rise up against the state back in ancient Rome. Oh, I can't believe it. It'll come to me. Um, uh, and uh, he becomes a gangster. And if he had, and he failed, and if he takes, if he had taken over, um, he would become the establishment. So we start. You start off as a gangster, and you take over, and you become the establishment. You know. Okay, so that's that's roughly what I think a gangster is. And then what happened in Italy is um, a new uh, rule of law and government and morals and virtue and all that sort of stuff came into play as a result of the French Revolution and all that. Um, you know, um, and Italy went became a democratic, you know, sort of republic. You know, and suddenly anyone who lived by the old code. Uh, were gangsters again. So, you see, it went backwards again. Um, so there were the mafia, uh, as they are called by now. Yeah, because the ancient Romans were a mafia uh, running the entire world. Okay, but they weren't called the mafia and they weren't called gangsters because they were the ruling class. So they were called the establishment, you know. Um, it's language, it's language. Um so, but anyone rising up against them, forming a gang to f- rise up against them, they become the gangsters, you know, with their own code of honour and all that sort of thing. Okay. So, and then the mafia, you know, the, the, um, the people who lived by the old ways in Rome and Sicily and all that sort of stuff, well, you know, more down south, um, kept the old Roman ways way up now into the 20th century and, um, and 21st century. They're called the Mafia now because they're outside the law. They're gangsters, right? They're gangsters. Now, we don't like them. We think they're against the law. Of course they're against the law because we make the law now because we are the modern, you know, um, democratic republic establishment world, you know. Um, and that's the world now. That's the ruling class. And you get this subclass coming up under, living underneath us called, you know, those Italians who live by the old ways. And we call them gangsters, Okay, and they have their own code of honour. But within their gang, they, it is a code of honour and virtue and all that sort of thing. And it's for the right reasons. You know, it's their truth. I could almost draw, bring that back to the, you know, the rest of the episode. Okay, they have a truth of their own and they are true to that truth. You know, and what they're doing is right according to their own truth. Even though it's brutal and they're, you know, putting horses' heads in people's beds and all that sort of thing. Because the... the um, what they're striving for is honourable, honourable, much like ancient Rome, you know, which is, you know, famous uh, ancient Rome, um, you know, all right, so that's that. Um, now, what do we have in, say, America um, with the African-Americans? Well, you have the ruling class, you know, which is the American Republic in the modern fashion, you know, European, you know, controlled and all that sort of thing, um, what they call white privilege, the whole bit, um, now, technically, according to, you know, what my definition of gangsters that my goddaughter gave me, that American ruling class, the elite, the liberal elite and all that sort of stuff, they're gangsters too because they have a code of honour and a set of laws, an amazing set of laws, you know, all the things that tick all the boxes, you know, to make you a gangster, right, except for one. 
They are the establishment. It's a language thing. So they are the establishment. So they're not gangsters, you know. Um, so, you know, Donald Donald Trump um, is not a gangster in that sense. He's the institution. Look, he verges on the gangster because he's a bit outside the, uh, the code, isn't he? He's a bit outside the code. But someone like Obama is... Uh, not a gangster, you know. And then I've, you know, I, I, I read those old Biggles books to um, my son, and Biggles is a gangster, apparently, according to what a, you know, if you if you ask a gangster what his code, you know, what makes a gangster, everything he says, that person who says what is a gangster. Um, Biggles ticks the boxes, you know. Um, you know, he's brave. He's got a code of honour. Um, he's willing to... Um, he's willing to... Um, to uh, be, uh, you know, an individual and a maverick and all that sort of stuff. He'll fight for what he believes in. He's a gangster, Biggles. But is he really? I think not, you know, because... Why? Because he's part of the establishment of his time. He was English at the height of... The pa- England's powers, you know, after World War Two, during World War Two, he's not a gangster. He's establishment, um, and um, yeah, and I really think that, you know, or else you have to change the definition of the word gang. You know, a gang is a small group of people sort of rising up in opposition to an establishment. You know, um, so you know, an establishment which believes it has a code of honour and you know, and all that sort of stuff, but it's the prevailing, you know, dominant culture. You know. And then you get a small culture underneath that is the minority culture and they all band together under a different code of honour and they call themselves gangsters, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, in Italy you have the prevailing, you know, the, the government of Italy um, is a republic, you know, and all that sort of stuff, a democratic republic. But now you have these people who are we call mafia who uh, sit underneath, you know, a shadowy group underneath and um, we call them gangsters, you know, um, because they are in opposition to the establishment. Now, you get brave people in both camps. So you've got brave people, absolutely, you know, like read anything, the soldiers going off to war, you know, fighting for America, nothing braver. But then you've got, um, you know, uh, you know, when they went to Vietnam, all the soldiers bravely went to war. You know what I mean? They were brave, those soldiers that went to war. Heaps of them got killed, you know. They were gangster, you know. Uh, re- watch any ga- a Vietnam movie, and uh, not that I've watched really any, um, but I'm sure they come across as brave and all that sort of stuff. Mavericks and all that sort of thing, you know. Okay, but their establishment said so they're not gangsters. They're, they're fighting for the establishment. No less brave. Code of honour, you know? Okay, but then you've got a subculture, you know, Muhammad Ali springs to mind. He said, I don't want to fight for, um, against the Vietnamese uh, because um, there's, a, uh, you know, um, uh, I've got my own group who has no problem with um, the Viet Cong and all that sort of stuff. Um, now, that brings us on to, and he's got, he said, I've got my own code of honour, and it's different than the establishment code of honour. Essentially, he's become part of a gang, you know. And back then, you know, he was kind of loosely, you know, associated with Black Panther movement and all that sort of stuff, you know. Right, so, so but, uh, fast forward to today, we've got establishment America, establishment America, which is code of honour, virtue, all that sort of stuff, laws, impressive laws, you know, watch any American law 
movie, you know, um, uh, L.A. law and all that sort of stuff. And it's an impressive set of laws and code of honour and virtue and all that sort of stuff. And that is what, it, you know, is represented by the American flag. Absolutely honourable in their own minds. and But then you've got a subculture because they got greedy once, these Americans, and they wanted slaves, you know, to make themselves rich. So they brought slaves across um, into America. And what happened then? Those, um, you know, the descendants of the descendants of the descendants of those slaves have banded together and they've got a different code of honour, different virtue there. Now, we call... We've got essentially we've got two gangs there, each with a different set of codes, and um, and uh, one we don't call gang a gang, one and the members of which we don't call gangsters. They're not gangsters, you know. Um, and the other one, uh, because they're the minority group who's fighting against the dominant oppressive sort of code of honour. So there's two codes of honour in conflict. You see, we call the other one the gangsters. You know. Um, and uh, and and that and that's that I think. Um, so that's how I see gangsters now. Rap I see, and 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 um, the code of honour amongst. See, there's an establishment elite in America and in Australia and all that sort of stuff. And I'm a member of the establishment establishment elite in Australia, which is a very different looking thing. It looks very different to the American one. You know, for example, the Americans have got this. Democrat Party with all sorts of ideals attached to it, and we don't have anything similar. None of our none of our politics even resembles the Democrat Party in America. We don't have anything that's even close. Our Labour Party is uh, does not bear any resemblance uh, to the Democrat Party in America. You know, um, our Labour Party is for the workers. Really, it's not even you know it puts the workers before even progressive ideas. Really, um, and our Liberal Party. Is has got nothing to do with the liberal uh, Democrats in Aus- in America. In fact, our Liberal Party here is, you know, sort of conservative, more conservative, you know, um, and it doesn't even resemble the Republican Party, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, what you have is um, you have establishment people in each community, whether it's America, or Australia, or anywhere else, really, and then you have. Um, subcultures who have their own code of ethics um, that are good for them and code of honour and all that sort of some virtue and brave people within and rap in America the language of the subculture there is more or less rap you know now here's the thing rap is a healing and wonderful thing for people who belong to that subculture or anyone who can identify with it. Um, uh, anyone who can identify it. So you don't have to be an African-American to identify with that gangster subculture bloody um, whole rap sort of um, attitude, you know, and it's hugely attitudinal, you know. Um, and, and even in the very rhythm and poetry of rap is a d- certain amount of defiance Okay. Now, if your establishment, if you're in charge, if you're on top of the heap, you don't heap, you don't have that defiance. So the music I like doesn't, the music I like doesn't have that defiant attitude. But rap has that defiant attitude. But because I'm not a member of 
the subculture, you know, I'm not oppressed in any way, shape or form. And it doesn't have to be in, in, in you know, I'm an ex-African slave sort of sense. It can be in a different way. You can be even intellectually disabled or whatever, you know what I mean? And feel part of a subculture and identify with rap. You can have had a hard childhood. <coughs> it can be in anything. Yeah, but I haven't had any of those things, so I don't identify with it. So, look, rap is a medicine, a healing force for people like that, in my opinion. And so is gangster mentality because it is a way out of uh, against the establishment elite. You know, I'll be one second. No, yeah, establishment elite. It's a ticket out of the oppression of whatever the establishment elite represents, you know. Um, and you see the establishment elite as bad, but the establishment elite sees itself as good. You know, now I'm part of the establishment elite. And now, if you're part of establishment elite, rap is naturally vexatious to your spirit because it's damaging your very code. It's defying, it's defiant against everything you believe in. And it is a code of honor, you know, at someone else's expense, absolutely. Uh, but then the gangsters, let's say, who sing rap, you know, and it's gangster attitude. Um, it does, you don't have to be literally a gangster. You just have a gangster attitude. Uh, those people are... Um, rap is a healing force for them, and it actually soothes their soul. Now, it vexes my spirit, rap, but it's for anyone who is in the, uh, let's say, um, an oppressed class um, with a code of honour, that is different than the establishment class, it um, soothes their souls. I hate it, they love it, you know. And you know, my goddaughter has a friend who loves rap, you know, he's part of the, you know, he's, he's African by um, descent or whatever, and um, he says it speaks to him, you know, the cadence of, um, you know, the defiant cadence of rap, you know, because rap has got that defiant cadence. It's the natural flows. It's not music per se. It's more the speaking voice, you know, because even as you're listening to me, my voice is rising and falling. It's speech, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, he says, what uh, rock, for example, is missing, and most pop mu- and all pop music, he says, what it's missing is that honest cadence of the spoken voice. It's missing that, you know, whereas... Um, and, and he said, but that defiant cadence, and he is talking about defiance, I'm sure of it, um, speaks to me, he says. And in, if, if you're saying something in a mellifluous, a mellifluous way, is it the right Mellifluous? I shouldn't try words I don't understand. Um, uh, you know, if you try to put something as a melody and a harmony and all that sort of stuff, it'll stop speaking to me because melody and harmony and everything, um, when you put all that together, you know, what I understand as music, it for him it doesn't speak to him. So he said what pop and rock are missing is, def- you know, cadence, you know, the natural speaking voice that really speaks to my heart as a human-to-human interaction, you know what I mean? And I said, of course it's missing that. I don't want it, you know, I don't even like that because I'm not in your culture. You know, you like it, it soothes your soul, it vexes my spirit, you know. So one is not better than the other. It depends on who you are and what you like, you know what I mean? Okay, so that's that. So he calls that music, you know. But to me, it's not music to my ears. It's a vex... It's noise to my ears. It's, you know, it's... um, it's just, uh, for, to my ears, you know, children, when you say drop the attitude, you know that? Well, the entire body of rap is pretty much attitude um, poetry. Yeah? And if my children spoke like that, I'd tell them to stop it. I actually would. 
I will not do what you say, Dad. I will not do what you say, Dad. I will not go to sleep early. I will not do this, you know. I have my own code of honor and I do not do this, you know. I do not do this, you know. It's all syncopated and all that sort of stuff. The whole rhythm of rap is saying, no, you know. I am going to be my own truth and bravery and all that sort of stuff. I'm a maverick, you know, and if my children do that, I, you know, I, I discipline them. Um, that's the way rap sounds like to me. And the reason for that is because I'm establishment, you know. Uh, however, if I was my goddaughter's friend um, and I was in the subculture, I would see um, something bravely defiant about all that. And um, and I would speak like that, you know. So if I was in the so if I was a member of the subculture, then I would become someone who loved rap. I really would, you know. Um, and it, now let, let's let's imagine it this way. Let's imagine African Americans do a Rome. Remember, I said the Romans started off as a gang in ancient history. I don't know if I said that, but they did. You know, they they started off as the the ancient ancient Romans started off as a motley lot of. Um, outsider against the law gangsters, you know, but then they took over and became establishment. Okay, and now they've receded again and become the mafia. Okay, now imagine African Americans and there's a rapper called Naz and he hopes for this. Imagine they rise up and become the establishment. No longer will they be gangsters. For about 100 years, they'll continue to call themselves gangsters, no doubt, just because of the memory of having been gangsters, you know, but <coughs> it's all black and white for this guy, Naz, and he says, Right, the blacks will unite and rise up against the whites. That's the message of this guy, Naz. He's a rapper. Now, let's say he gets his wish, you know, and we run along colour lines, you know, which America pretty much does anyway. It's a mess, that joint. Um, except the blacks are in charge. You know, Naz would love that, you know, and he'd feel like a gangster for ages, you know, probably for about 200 years, you know, him and his son and his grandson, you know, and, and children, um, all that sort of stuff. And, um, but slowly but surely... Um, the music that he or his descendants anyway would like would suddenly become more musical I think and less gangster per se and the white people would start to sound um, defiant in their music their music would take on a defiant tone you know much like Irish rebel music has that defiant tone against the English you know uh, because the Irish were a subculture they were the gangsters with their own code of honour against the English you know and that, that's where rap sits you know so, so it's not a yeah so all in all gangster yeah I don't think I think Biggles is not a gangster you know whereas I think Naz the rapper is a gangster okay it's because where you are in society and who you're defying if you're in a defying a defiant position um and in summary you know if you're in a defiant position and you're a small you know you're a minority group as african americans most definitely are in america you know because i think what they call white people because they actually do censuses on that they actually <laughs> they actually ask people in their censuses you know are you white or black or you know hispanic and all that in australia we don't have that on our census we do not have any concept of that. We don't know how many black people, per se, there are in Australia, in which means, because um, not even asked on our census, which means we don't have a sense of black and white in the same way as America does, you know. So we don't have, we only have, you know, where did you, what country in Africa did you come from? Whereas, um, you know, and, and it, you can say South Africa, and even then you don't know if it's white or black, you know what I mean, per se, in the American sense. Um, so, um, yeah, but, you know, getting, uh, yeah, we're, you know, I, I don't think people are aware of that. You can look up, you can Google um, how many whites versus blacks in America, and blacks are a minority, I think they're about 17% or 15% or something like that, you know. Um, but, uh, 
small minority, small, you know, large minority. Um, uh, but in Australia, you can't Google that. We do, we are we do not you know it's part of our egalitarian sort of um, ideal to not collect that data. We don't want to know. In fact, we don't want people to identify as black or white. Or we would collect stats on it. We're anti that. We're against that. That's Australia. Um, you know where I'm going with all of that. Um, but you know that's my wrap up um, of the different truths that you can get between one mob and another mob especially if one mob is a subculture within that other mob which we have in australia with indigenous people or you know whatever um and you know since africans have started to come to australia which is really recent you know they're they're forming in a a sort of african-american style subculture in australia too and they're listening to rap music so we're we're starting to get exposed to that so hence i'm talking about it you know 20 years ago, I wouldn't be talking about this because we didn't know any Africans in Australia. None, really. You know, there were hardly any Africans in Australia whatsoever. Okay? All right. So that's it. Uh, I've got to go now. Okay, just a second. As an interesting addendum, by the way, uh, my goddaughter, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, my goddaughter mentioned that her friend, who, you know, likes rap, but doesn't like rock and pop, let's say, uh, that, you know, his criticism of rock and pop is, it is missing what he calls cadence. You know, the rise and fall of the voice, of the normal speaking voice, let's say, you know, but emphasised, you know, the way I speak, really, the natural speaking voice so he says rock and pop are missing that and that is that that is which speaks to him you know so he's saying he likes cadence um because it's the way humans talk to each other and um express you know each express things to each other in a nice deep and meaningful way in a human to human fashion uh keep going Alex. Um, and, and his criticism of rock and pop is that it's missing that stuff. Hang on, hang on. It's missing that stuff, right? Missing that stuff. That's something to hold on to. You know, it lacks that, you know, that intense human-to-human uh, conversation, interaction, poetry, all right? It's missing it. Right, now, for me, um, rap is missing... Melody, harmony, counterpoint, and all the other things that I associate with music, you know. So, rock and pop is missing something. You know, he's in a minority culture, and um, and rock and pop and other establishment, establishment musical forms are missing something that is speaks to his culture, and you know, and vice versa. Okay, so it's not. So it's really not, it's missing something from his perspective, but not missing something from my perspective. I like melody and harmony because I'm relaxed, you know, so I want, I want all that, you know, that nice sort of stuff, you know. Uh, He doesn't want that. He wants an intense human interaction because that speaks to uh, his culture's uh, requirements, you know, his subculture, his subculture's requirements, you know, for defiance and all that sort of stuff and, you know, assertion of one's dignity and all that sort of stuff, whereas I, I come from a culture that's got all that stuff in the bank before I was even born. It's called privilege, you know, that's my lucky privilege. I've got all that stuff, so why would I want to 
um, listen to a, an art form that was all about defiance. Like, defying what? You know, I've got, I have no wish to be defiant. So it doesn't speak to me, you know. So I say, from my perspective, that rap is worse. So he says rap is better than pop and rock because it's got cadence, as he calls it. But what he means is, you know, defiant cadence and punchy, punchy sort of poetry, you know. And I say, and he says that's what makes rap better, you know, the fact that it isn't so musical per se in the melodic sense or the harmonious sense and all that sort of stuff. It lacks, the fact that it lacks music per se, as I would understand music, makes it better, you know, better music, you know, for him. Whereas I have the opposite view, you know, um, and I say, and he says, you should listen to rap, it's great. You know, I've never spoken to him. So, you know, I'm just imagining, let's say he speaks to me, he says, listen, you should listen to rap, it's fantastic, listen to this song. And I listen to it and I say, it's full of defiance against an oppressive regime per se, you know. And he says, yeah, it's great, isn't it? I said, no, you know, because it's against my culture, so to speak. You know, it's against my privilege um, and all that sort of thing as a member of the dominant, um, you know, the dominant culture, Globally, globally even, you know. So it works like that, you know. Now, look, if I wanted to be an empathetic person, I could step inside his shoes artificially, but I would be just being empathetic. I wouldn't be being him. I am not part of an oppressed class. I'm a part of a privileged class. Now, for me to identify with him, I have to be oppressed in some way. How do I do that? I just never, you know, I've had a lucky charmed life, so I can't do it. You know, I can only sort of artificially do it. So rap will never naturally speak to me um, unless I, I don't know how I would do it, you know, really get into his shoes. But do I really, you know, you know I might pay lip service to it and I might do it as a, as a gesture and, you know, as a, a caring thing um, and a compassionate thing, but I can't do it for real. I don't think I can because I don't feel it, you know. I was born with privilege and, you know, I can pretend I haven't got it all I like, you know. I can even identify with African-Americans and all that sort of stuff and African-Australians now, you know, because we have African-Australians now. We really never have had that before. It's only very recently in my experience. Look, of course, we've had a couple. We have Marsha Hines, you know, but... Yeah, we ha- we had an African Australian way back at the start of Australia who got hung for slaughtering Indigenous people. You know, so we've had African uh, Mile Street Massacre. Look it up. You know, so we've had Africans. But what I'm talking about is we haven't had an African culture in Australia ever. It's brand new. Okay, um, look, you get what I'm saying. You know, um, if my fr- if my goddaughter's friend says, "Listen, rock and pop, don't like it because it's missing." certain features of music that I like, namely um, rebel poetry, you know, rebel poetry, how about I put it like that, you know, because I'm used to that from Irish culture, you know, Um, it's missing rebel poetry, cadence, the rise and fall of the spoken voice, which really is about humans speaking to each other, it's missing all of that, you know, rock and pop is missing all of that, and to that I say, duh, of course it's missing it, it doesn't want it, because it is that rock and pop is the music of a culture that's on top of the heap, you know. And um, so, you know, if my goddaughter's friend says, and he's um, African-Australian, as it were, um, 
you know, um, Ethiopian Australia, actually, because we don't really identify with, the, you know, just Africa as if it's a country. African-Americans see Africa as a country, in by and large, especially the ones who are descended from slaves, you know, because they had their individual tribal identities erased. So all they can identify with is Africa as a whole, really. You know, people can criticise them for that, for that, you know. Africa is not a country. It's all different countries, you know. It's not a country. African-Americans can go nose-to-nose with such a person and say, get stuffed, you know. For me, Africa is a country. I had, I, I, you know, my ancestors were slaves. I had my tribal identity erased. Right now, I know all I know is I came from Africa. Um, I am identifying from the continent as a whole. And if you are going to tell me I can't do that, then you can get stuffed, you know. They, then they are legitimately allowed to say that, in my opinion, you know, legitimately. You know? And it gets a bit tricky, you know, because African-Australians don't have that. They all come from countries within Africa, you know. Um, so there's a disconnect between um, African-Americans who are, slave, uh, you know, descendants of the slaves and African-Australians who are not. And even African-Americans who are not descended from slaves, you know, they're a bit torn as well, you know, because you can have, an, uh, you know, Obama, he's from Kenya, you know, he's not from Africa, he's from Kenya, you know. But there's a lot, Naz, the rapper, he's from Africa, see? It gets tricky. Um, so, you know, maybe rap doesn't speak to Obama, you know. Um, but rap speaks to Naz and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this music's better than that music. And you think they're arguing it out on ter- in terms of what's better music, but it's not. It's about which music speaks to one's own cultural um, sort of uh, cultural um, perspective. You know, that's what they're talking about, really. So when someone says rap's better than pop, they're not saying that at all. You know, obvious. You know, like if if you, it depends how you measure it, isn't it? Um, so most pop music would thrash rap if you measured the sound waves in air and 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 measured which one was having the more impressive effect on air. Because you know, in physics, sound waves make patterns in air. You know, you can actually put dye in the air and watch it. Now, pop music is better music than rap in terms of, you know, from God's perspective, um, in terms of a God, you know, that made the physical universe, you know, God might say uh, the pop music is making much more impressive patterns in the air. The way the notes, the musical notes are working together is unbelievable, making the most impressive and beautiful patterns. And... um, but the natural, uh, you know, with all the harmonies and the melodies and all that sort of thing and the counterpoint, it's just doing fantastic things to the air. And, of course, that stuff, you know, the, the movement of waves in the air is impacting on our ears, you know, the little drums in our ears and making, you know, having a wonder, making wonderful sensations in the air. And rap can't do that. You know, rap is just a sort of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, natural rhythm of the voice. However... Not the God of the physical world, but the God of the soul, you know, and the spirit, the human spirit, the God of the human spirit. Um, he is listening to rap and pop music, and he might say, I prefer rap, you know, because it's about the dignity of the human spirit. It's, it's missing all that stuff, you know, that I can see physically in the air. You know, it's, it's, it's not impressive in terms of physical music. 
um, and, and the effect it's having on the eardrums as, you know, translates across to the brain and all that sort of stuff, the physical stuff, it's not that impressive. Pop and, you know, pop especially is much more impressive and classical, in, in, immensely more impressive again. You know, the, really the high point of all musical forms on earth, I think, classical music, Mozart, you know, all that sort of stuff. No other, you know, no other culture on earth ever went in that direction like classical music can. Okay, um, in my opinion, all right, check it out yourself, you know, but Chinese music, African music, and indigenous music, it's all just, it's nothing compared to classical music in terms of what classical music can do to, you know, absolute music, you know, can do to the senses, you know, physically. All right, but, you know, the god of the other god, you know, the god of the human spirit who wants humans to do well, not monkeys, you know, not um, not birds, not this and that, you know, um, would say that rap is doing something in the way that it's defying an oppressive regime and all that sort of stuff, the human spirit. Um, and um, the god of the human spirit might say that music is more impressive. It's not a question of which music's better. It's mi- which music is better according to which truth. And what a way to finish this episode because that's what this episode was about right at the start. And it started off talking about music too. I think I've done it.